Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we talk about the benefits and pitfalls of specific side hustles. If you've got a little weekend business, this one's for you. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed, and please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back, everybody, to another week of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined by my friend and colleague, Dan Maseka. Dan, good to see you. Hey, Ross. Good to see you, too. We are closing out April. We've been celebrating Financial Literacy Month. Uh, I hope that people have enjoyed the episodes. We've certainly enjoyed doing them, uh, as we do really with all of our episodes. But uh, we're, we're closing out the end. I feel more financially literate. I don't know about you, Ross. I certainly do as well, and uh, you know we're going to continue to to try and program some great content. Actually, coming up, I think next week we're going to get into a couple uh, celebrity-oriented shows, so it should be fun stuff uh, coming up in May. I'm pretty pumped about the next couple episodes. I think I think we're trying to uh, hit the big time and talk about some really hot topics. So today, what we're going to get into is side hustles. Uh, now, Dan, you and I have both had some side projects along with our our primary careers of financial planning uh, for quite a while. So I think we're going to talk about those as well as a few pitfalls, things that people may not be aware of or uh, might not be thinking about but should as they think about side hustles. But just in your mind, when you hear side hustle, what comes up for you? What's your initial reaction when you hear that? So there, there are a couple things. The first and the way that side hustles have always played a part in my life is I think I'm just a restless kind of person and like doing things. And for the people who can't sit still and have so many interests, a side hustle is just an opportunity to express that, whether that be for the purposes of generating extra income or just for the purposes of, you know, getting some of that energy out and and being able to do something different than what you spend most of your day doing. The other thing that comes to mind is a term I hear a lot, just mailbox money. So what can I do to generate some income that's going to happen in the background while I go about living my life? And the idea is down the road, that's going to play a more meaningful part in your financial picture and allow you to build a more stable future financially. Yeah, I, I agree. When, when I think of a side hustle, you know, I, I think for, for some people, it's a necessity. Right, if if their their primary source of income doesn't help them make ends meet, uh, it's it's maybe a way to to get closer to making those ends meet, or or hopefully to to make some progress there. But for people that do have solid income, I really think of it as a way to accelerate. Whether that's accelerating on your savings goals and, and being able to get out of debt if you have some, or or to start saving at a higher rate than than you otherwise could. For some people, it's a way to have that extra spending money so that you've got a little bit of extra cash flow without sacrificing your savings goals, right? If, if you're doing everything to be disciplined, to save well, and do what you know you need to do, then maybe it's a way to add an extra vacation a year or just have some, some fun money. And certainly, I think it's a, a fun way to express yourself. You can find things that you're passionate about and things that are profitable. If you can find that intersection, I think that's a really fun space. Now, for some people, it might be things like driving Uber or you know, maybe maybe less fun activities. I, I don't know. Maybe people really enjoy driving Uber. I don't think I would enjoy 
that particular activity. But the things that you and I have gotten into personally and and uh, many of the things that our, our friends have done as side hustles, I think are things that they really enjoy and, and fall into that profitable hobby category. Right. So one of the side hustles I've had forever is playing music. And it's funny that you use the term fun money because what I've seen both with myself and with a lot of other people is the earnings that you generate from those side hustles, you know, me playing in a band, a lot of the money that I make from that is kind of the money I allow myself to buy other musical equipment with, which is something I'm passionate about. And I see that for a lot of people. So they're saving their day job earnings, but their side hustle money is vacation money, toy money, whatever it may be. Dan, how many guitars do you have in your house right now? Um, somewhere between seven and nine. Is the ambiguity there because your wife might listen to the show and, and you don't want her to know the real number? No, I, I don't know the real number. It's in flux all the time. Gotcha. All right. So this this is an active moving target for you to figure out how many guitars you have. Seven guitars. Sorry. Sorry. Eight guitars is the answer right now. Got it. You only know that now because you counted them? I counted them. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, yeah, what, one of the side hustles for me has also been keeping music in my life, which is uh, I got into DJing really in as a hobby in middle school uh, and then started doing like community parties and things like that in high school and then really found weddings in college and, and ended up DJing weddings. And, you know, it was really funny coming out of college. I thought I was going to wind the DJ thing down. I was like, man, you know, that's that's a young person's game. And, and in many ways, it, it, it kind of still feels like that to me. But I came out of school just before the 2008 financial crisis. So my first year in financial services was like getting kicked in the teeth financially. It was very, very difficult. And I went back to that because I very quickly said, okay, what's a skill that I have? What's a way that I can generate some money in particular on my weekends? And I went back to it. And, and honestly, that helped me dig out of, of what was a pretty challenging time financially. So, so for me, I kind of came back to it. And then really found the love for it. I feel very fortunate to say I've had you know a bunch of years now where I didn't have to DJ, but I've continued to do it because I do think it's something that brings me joy and kind of uses a different part of my brain than what I do day to day with with our financial planning and investing work. So side hustles like DJing and music are definitely things that are time consuming. They're evening work and weekend work. I feel like in many regards, those are both young kids games, DJing and playing in a band. You know, people can certainly do that throughout their lives. But as we get older and and more mature, I hear a lot of people looking towards other side hustles. And, and the big one I hear all the time is property management, getting a rental property, putting someone in. And then, you know, in their mind, that's a very low maintenance way to earn an extra paycheck every month. Well, and, and I think the allure of passive income. I mean, just the concept of passive income, something that I've got that's generating regular cash flow for me uh, is exceptionally exciting for, for a lot of people. Uh, and in many cases, um, you know, I think the I think the allure of real estate is a little bit oversold sometimes. Now, Dan, w- would you call me a bear when it comes to to home ownership? I would call you a bear and I would call you a bear when it comes to home ownership perspectives. Yeah. Now, I own a home. I, I have for, for quite a few years. But for me, owning a home is not an investment. It is a consumption item. And I'm trying to do a couple things. Number one, I'm trying to suppress the inflation 
on my consumption item, right? I have to live somewhere. Homes are getting more expensive, particularly right now. But owning a home for me is not that exciting of a thing in the sense that I don't think of it as this great appreciating piece of property. I see it in many respects as a nuisance. And so the idea of owning my own home strikes a little bit of irritation when I think about it, because I've just had so many things go wrong, so many appliances, so many fixes. I've had raccoons in my attic. I've had to replace insulation because it turns out that raccoons have very toxic feces, or at least that's what the pest people convinced me of. So there's generally a long list of things in my home ownership tenure that have been really frustrating items. So to then marry that concept with, yeah, that's going to be an investment. That's like the opposite direction I want to go. I'd like to own less homes. So often when I hear people talking about rental properties, they do the very basic math of the annual rental income and divide it by their investment and just say, that's going to be my return on my investment. But just because it's a rental property doesn't mean that those very expensive home improvement projects stop happening. Raccoons can go into a rental property too and become a very expensive fix because you need to remove their feces from the ceiling, apparently. Yeah. And uh, if if you ever want to really terrify yourself, just Google pinworms. That'll send you down a series of nightmares that, that you weren't prepared for. I will not do that. Okay. So, you know, I'm having a little bit of this same issue with something going on in the DJ business. And this is a little bit of a tangent, but I, I wanted to find a place for this story because it's actually going on in my life right now. And I think of it with the same sort of frustration that I think about problems with home rental. As part of the DJ business that I run, kind of my, my weekend side hustle project, I own a cargo van. And in the past year or so, the DJ business has done terribly, right? Nobody's having events. Gatherings have been suppressed. People that have public events or private events where where they're going to gather and, and need a DJ, those have all been uh, essentially destroyed, at least in this area, for, for the past year or so. And so in my infinite wisdom of trying to figure out what can I do with this resource that is now idle, this thing that I've got that's kind of sitting around doing nothing, I started renting the van. Now, there's an app called Turo. It's a peer-to-peer rental system, essentially. So people could come and rent my van, they pick it up, they take it wherever they need to go, and they bring it back to me. This all sounds very, very nice. But now this is the second time this has happened where the renter has been late or has gone like MIA with my vehicle. And all of the same things I was just kind of complaining about with homeownership, these frustrations immediately wash over me of now I got to spend a day tracking down where these people are, Why are they late? In today's example of this, the van was supposed to be back at 7.30 this morning, and somebody else was going to pick it up at 11 a.m., right? So pretty quick turnaround. And I get a message late last night that says, my husband's been sick. We can't get the van back. We're going to be back closer to 5 p.m. tomorrow. My first, I won't even say my first instinct. I'm probably not that good of a person. I, I wish my first instinct was sympathy for this person's husband who was sick. And generally, I I am sympathetic to that. That sucks. I hope it's nothing serious. But in the meantime, as somebody that is, in theory, supposed to be flipping this van around and giving it to somebody else and just handing the keys back and forth to people, what do you do do there? What, What am I supposed to do with 
my van's not going to be back and somebody else is renting it at 11. I'm, I don't run a U-Haul. I don't have many vans. I don't have an inventory of vehicles. The thing that I'm now supposed to be providing. So now I look like an idiot with this person that's trying to rent my van, has set up through this app, and I don't have a van for them to rent. That, to me, encompasses all of the frustration of owning a rental home as well, right? That that feels like the call at 2 a.m. that the sink is leaking or the toilet's leaking. There's water all over our home. You're on the hook for it. What are you going to do? Yeah, get someone out now. I can't live in my home without water. And they're right. They are right. That All, all of that fear washes over me when I think about owning a rental. I don't know that people account for that. Now, maybe... It's because people are using a property manager and they go, well, I'm not going to have to deal with that. I'm not going to have to find the renter. I'm not going to have to deal with any of this. But a property manager is generally going to cost, what, 10% or so roughly of of what you're going to pull in off of a rental for the year. So it takes a big chunk of the revenue. And, And doesn't account for the cost that you still have for those problems. You're just not the one who has to take that phone call. So the estimate that I've always heard for what you should account for or budget for for home repairs is about 1% a year. So if you've got a $300,000 home, you should assume that somewhere in the neighborhood of $3,000 a year needs to be set aside to handle those expenses. Now, in some years, it might be nothing. Nothing goes wrong. In some years, it might be a roof, and it's $10,000, $15,000, right? So depending on what year you're looking at, it's not going to be that smooth. It'll be very lumpy. But 1% a year is generally what people should be expecting to spend to maintain a home. That's a big line item on a budget too. You have your primary home that you should be accounting 1% for. And then if you have a rental property, throwing another 1% on there, that's eating up potentially another month or two of your rental income. I think it's a it's a huge expense and I, and I don't think people give it enough respect. Now, the other thing, when we talk about homes being a great investment, Dan, do you know what the number is in, in terms of homes appreciating on an annual basis at a national level? Not 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 in any one location, but do you know what it is at a national level? What percent they appreciate? I'm going to say around 2%. So you're, you're a little bit even more bearish than I am. It is a little bit better than that. All right. So this data comes from a JP Morgan Asset Management deck that I reference all the time called the Guide to the Markets. Uh, And the number has shifted, actually. It's gotten a little bit more favorable because the data they're looking at is from 1999 to 2019. So 20-year-long period, homes have appreciated at 3.4% per year. Compare that to the S&P 500 over the same period, which, keeping in mind, has both the tech crash and the 2008 crash involved in it, 6.1 comparably for the S&P 500. Now, here's the really interesting number. REITs, real estate investment trusts, 11.6%. 11.6%. So so REITs over that 20-year period have actually almost doubled the S&P 500 return. Now, I think that's partially just the selection of the exact 20-year period that we're talking about here because it's very, very poor timing for equities. You know, we we would assume in most cases that a rolling twenty year period for the for stocks is going to do better than six percent. That's really on the low end of it. But I point that out because I think it's really interesting to separate in our mind an investment in a home and an investment in real estate. It is, and what's funny is, as bearish as I am on real estate investing, I typically like the type of thing that goes along with owning a rental property. 
it's something that you can control that to some extent you can't control when the house decides to, you know, have a roof cave in, but it's tangible. You have some control over the management of it. So typically it has all the makings of something I would like, but in the data that you're giving, you know, the, the returns that you're going to see on something like that, although I guess you're, you're discounting the rental income as far as the price appreciation of the home, but the 11 to 12% on REITs over a 20 year period. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting. I mean, so, and, and I, I don't know that I came at this with, with a firm thesis statement on what, you know, I'm, I'm not telling people they should own rentals. I, I really think that it's more a matter of digging into the numbers. What is your actual yield, right? Are you accepting a yield that you would otherwise find unattractive just because you like physical assets? And that might be okay, but I, let's go into it with with both eyes wide open, right? Because for a lot of these properties, if you were getting, let's call it a seven or an eight percent yield off off the value of the property, so you're getting a seven percent yield, and then you're you're going to pay one month of that or ten percent of that to a property manager, and then you're going to set aside another percent of that for improvements in the property. Maybe you get to a net four or five percent plus a three percent property appreciation, right? So if you get to a comfortable income number and then you're still getting the property appreciation, that's not a bad investment. Instead, if you're if your top line yield is something like four or five percent, and then you take the property management costs out of there, and then you take the maintenance cost out of there, and you're carrying a mortgage or you know what what whatever the math ends up being, I do think it kind of moves into fairly unattractive numbers fairly quickly. Uh, and and I the reason I pointed out what REITs have done in comparison is just to, I guess, point out that homes are not the only way to invest in real estate. That's not the only way to achieve some passive income. There are some very interesting ways to get real estate exposure, both in the public and private markets, where you don't necessarily have to own a home and be a property manager. REITs are also much more accessible from an earlier stage. You don't have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars or large income to support investing in REITs. You can do so incrementally over time and build basically a real estate empire little by little just by continuing to lump some money into something like that, you know, month after month or year after year. One thing that came to mind as you were talking about both rental property and your Turo experience is you are a person dealing with people and people are the worst, right? Or Maybe you build a great bond with someone and then you have that human element that is also potentially attacking your returns. So for example, you have a great tenant who all of a sudden starts not paying their full rent amount. You know, it's very hard to just kick them out off the bat or, you know, recoup that loss. They're going to potentially tell you they're going to pay in and pay you back over the next couple months. And, and then it just keeps happening. So now you have a prolonged period where you're not getting what you deserve. And it's really hard to recoup. And for your Turo experience, you just have someone who has your vehicle. I I don't know what the recourse is for them not returning it on time, but certainly on the other end, you're, you're impacting the person who's waiting to get it next. With a re you don't have to deal with that. It's very inhuman from your perspective. There are a lot of humans on the other end running the business, but you just put money into a vehicle and then that vehicle is driving itself. Yeah, the, I mean the the other thing I, I thought of when when you said you know thinking about the the relationship, I also see people 
not raising their rents on good tenants, right? The fear of, of a good tenant leaving or somebody that is responsible with your home leaving. Uh, I see a lot of people, you know, maybe they go through one rent increase or something like that um, over a, a period of many years, but but they feel bad increasing those rents, which again, if if you're thinking human to human, I completely get it. I would have trouble raising rent on somebody that that is a good person or may have their own financial struggles that I'm aware of or, you know, whatever whatever it is that they have going on in their life, I'm sure it's complicated. As an investor, I, I think about it the opposite way, right? If if I can't raise rent and and build that inflation into my investment, it starts looking much less attractive to me if if I'm at a zero or very low growth rate in terms of that income stream. Right. And that, that human component is very hard to account for when you're making a decision off the bat. You know, I, I think the big takeaway is to to think hard about what you might be getting into, especially in real estate. This is coming from two real estate bears, self-proclaimed. And your wife is a real estate agent for what it's worth, right? We're, we're not, it's not like we're unfamiliar with the space. Right. Very familiar with the space. And by the way, as with all investments, time horizon is important too, because transacting in real estate is also very expensive if you plan to hold something for for a couple of years. One thing I do want to point out, just because I we, we've talked about the app a little bit, the, the folks at Turo have been pretty helpful uh, when when I've gone through these situations. They're pretty quick to jump on it, and you know they were talking about all sorts of situations like uh, towing the car back to me and all of this stuff if I knew where it was. Which the first time this happened, by the way, it was in Kansas City. We're in Virginia. The person had taken it to Kansas City. And was now stuck there with with my property. So that was going to be a very, very long tow truck ride. Thankfully, we were able to get the people to bring it back. That one was my favorite story. I'm allowed to laugh at it because it didn't happen to me. And I, I did feel your pain. But it, it was kind of funny just as an outsider hearing that your vehicle is now like states away from us with really poor communication on their end as to what was happening. Yeah, no, it, it it was a crazy situation. And again, the human element, I think, is really difficult, right? Because when somebody reaches out and says, hey, I'm having a, a medical issue or my, my family is having a medical issue, I don't want to be thinking about my property. I really don't. That That's not where I want to be as a human going like, okay, well, the vans do. That, that's just a weird place for me to be. And, and I think it also means that maybe I'm not suited to, to those types of businesses where you need to be a little bit more um, I think hardened to to some of the the emotional issues, right? I mean, I think about uh, another set of companies that that get kind of a bad rap. But think about like towing companies, right? There isn't a single person dealing with a towing company that's not having a bad day. They've either been picked up from a spot that they weren't supposed to park, or they've got a broken down car. They're distraught. They're emotional, and you're like, yeah, that's going to be 175 bucks. <laughs> you know, like that. That's just not a place where where I think I can operate well as a, as a human. So may, maybe it's just that I don't have the temperament or or the mentality for for real estate ownership or, or owning rentals. But the other thing, and you mentioned the transaction cost, I do think the two ways that you can make money in real estate in residential real estate is number one, if you're a realtor and you're participating or lowering your own transaction cost, right? That can that can make it way more attractive if you're taking three percent off or 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 whatever the the number is in terms of each time you, you move a property. And then number two is if you can do the work yourself. Now I am wildly unhandy. The projects that I take on around my home are very modest uh, and and probably doesn't go much beyond changing a light bulb. But that's that's just the life I'm in. And so uh, maintaining a, a property in a home, probably not the right thing for me. 
you notice the uh, guitar hanging on the wall behind me. I did that today. And my wife asked if I wanted someone to come in and do that for us. That that should tell you the level of handiwork that I have. Thanks. Thanks for the vote of confidence, right? I did it on my own. And it, it's still up there. So so we can we can check in on that from week to week and make sure it's still hanging. I believe I found the stud in the wall. So we should be good, assuming my stud finder is is reliable and trusty. Yeah. So if you ever see me and Dan opening up a uh, construction business, that's that's going to be a real warning sign that, that things have gone wrong for us because that's not where our skill set lies. Ask a lot of questions if you're planning to hire us for construction. You know, I, I, I'm going to come back to the fact that I think side hustles are a wonderful thing. I, I really do. I think if you can find something that stretches your brain a little bit to do something different, if you can find a way to increase your savings rate, if you can find a way to create a more comfortable life for yourself by, by finding something that generates a little bit of extra income, all of that is wonderful. But I do want people to go into some of those common issues with their eyes wide open, right? That it's not free money, that managing a property, managing a home is, is a serious endeavor. And if you've done the math and it makes sense to you versus your alternatives, uh, or it makes sense to you just as a diversifier in your portfolio, obviously we're not against that. But it, it's something that, that I think people should be very cautious of if they're going into the property management route. If you have an interesting side hustle, we want to know about it. Shoot us a note at checkyourbalancesoutlook.com and let us know what you've been doing, whether it's a new hustle or an old one. Uh, if you enjoyed the podcast, certainly give us a rating. Ross and I love to hear from you. And uh, stick around for the next couple of weeks. We have some really interesting interviews covering the glamorous world of celebrities. We look forward to catching up with you then.